Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Researchers in Minnesota are collaborating with tribes to fight the spread of a fatal deer disease. The partnership includes expanding surveillance for chronic wasting disease of deer on tribal lands. It's one of several efforts to get a handle on the contagious ailment that has shown up in at least 30 states. It's a concern for both hunters and wildlife management officials. We'll hear about what tribes are doing to get a handle on chronic wasting disease right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. As the National Congress of American Indians Annual Convention continues in New Orleans this week, there are some controversial amendments which will be voted on Thursday. A proposal seeks voting membership to be restricted to only federally recognized tribes and only citizens of federally recognized tribes to be eligible for an individual membership. Another proposal is for board members and regional vice presidents to be citizens of federally recognized tribes. As Rhonda Lavaldo reports, while there's much debate, not everyone wants to go on the record to share their viewpoints. Currently, NCAI considers both state and federally recognized tribes as voting members of the organization. A proposed amendment eliminates that voting status to only federally recognized tribes. One leader has concerns saying it diminishes federally recognized tribes, their sovereignty in NCAI. Chief of the Shawnee Tribe, Ben Bartons. For the majority of these state recognized tribes that are members of NCAI, they have no native ancestry. They're not native governments. So this creates problems for folks that are still seeking recognition and are legitimate. But NCI has refused to deal with this issue. And now it's member tribes are left to take this up and make sure that this passes. Several attendees at NCAI with various views declined to comment to National Native News about the proposal, but in an opinion piece in Native News Online, Lumbee Chairman John Lowry called the possible changes internal termination process that contradicts the founding principles of NCAI and a slippery slope for the organization that could open up other tribes as targets, including landless or non-treaty tribes. NCAI is being held in Louisiana, a state with four federally recognized tribes and nearly a dozen state-recognized tribes. Currently, NCAI has 145 tribal memberships. Of that number, 24 are state-recognized tribes. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. For years, drought and development in the West have caused water shortages for tribes. Now a new institute aims to give tribes resources and training to advocate for their water rights. The Mountain West News Bureau's Kayla Bradle reports. It's called the Tribal Water Institute. Its goal is to help tribes navigate laws and policies and recruit and train young water attorneys. The project was created by the Walton Family Foundation, a group working to protect rivers, and the Native American Rights Fund, a nonprofit law group in Colorado, where the institute will be based. David Gover is a managing attorney in Pawnee and Choctaw. He says helping tribes protect and assert water rights comes at a critical time. Climate change is impacting all of our communities, right? And, it, you know, there becomes a more competition for that resource. And, of course, the states and industries not waiting around, right? They'll, they'll continue to find what they can and take what they can. He says the new institute will allow the fund to double its water staff to 14 members. 
The team will publish a semi-annual report to educate tribes, policymakers, and attorneys about new and ongoing water rights cases and issues. For National Native News, I'm Caleb Radel. The U.S. Senate passed a bill late Wednesday night to avoid a government shutdown on Friday. It has two expiration dates, one for funding programs for agriculture, energy and water, veterans and military construction, and transportation and housing through January 19th. The second has an expiration date of early February for the rest of the government. The measure also extends the special diabetes program for Indians through January 19th and the nation's farm and food programs, WIC and SNAP, until September. Congress is on break for Thanksgiving. The bill was sent to the president for a signature. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Blood Sisters by Vanessa Lilly, about a Cherokee archaeologist summoned to rural Oklahoma to investigate the disappearance of two women, one of them her sister. This and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Worries over chronic wasting disease in deer are increasing among both wildlife management officials and hunters. The condition affects deer and related animals like elk and moose. It's a neurological disease that is always fatal. Infected animals have been documented in at least 30 states and the disease continues to spread every year. Some tribes are working on innovative ideas to monitor and curtail the spread of CWD. If they're successful, those methods could be implemented elsewhere. Part of the concern by tribes is the threat to their cultural tradition of hunting and what is an important source of food for tribal members. We'll hear about the science behind the disease and what's being done to keep it in check. We also want to hear from you. Is chronic wasting disease an issue you have to think about this deer season? Give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us from Missoula, Montana is Suta Callinglast. She is the founder and director of Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit. She is Blackfeet and Blood Tribe. Suta, welcome to Native America Calling, and please further introduce yourself. Hello, good morning, everybody. My name is Suta, calling last, and it's great to be on with you today. Great to have you on the show, Suta. Joining us from the White Earth Reservation in Minnesota is Doug MacArthur. He is the White Earth Wildlife Manager. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be here today. We're doing great, Doug. Glad to have you. And joining us from St. Paul, Minnesota is Mark Schwabenlander. 
He is the Associate Director for the Minnesota Center for Prion Research and Outreach. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show to you as well. Hi, good to be here. Suits, I want to go ahead and begin the conversation with you and the initiative that you are leading. It sounds very innovative and it involves dogs. Tell us how dogs can help fight wasting disease in deer. Well, it's it's just uh, starting the research and Penn State Vets is a partner of ours and they've proof the concept of dogs finding CWD in a lab environment, but have yet to move it out to a field environment, and we're hoping to do that as uh, more science comes available to us. But this other project, the, the part of the project that it belongs to, is um, a climate-driven and environmental stressors, contaminant, and disease mapping project, and CWD is part of that because I want to know uh, CWD susceptibility uh, when they're exposed to various contaminants that are found on the land. I have a feeling that one of the contaminants they're running into out there on the land is uh, making them more susceptible and able to pick it up. Okay. Well, this sounds all really innovative, exciting. Um, How can dogs help with this issue? Where did that idea come from to include dogs as part of the research? Well, dogs make a lot of conservation work a lot easier and cheaper and faster than than us with our noses and, and visual <laughs> the visual capabilities of humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for us, they're going out and they're they're uh, compiling. We're finding mink and otter scat, and then we're taking that to the lab to have heavy heavy metal analysis and pharmaceutical analysis on that. We want to do PFAS next and some other uh, parameters, but. They're really helping uh, tally up and record and map exactly where we're finding contaminants because we're in a part of the country where CWD is still um, just starting to come in into the Glacier National Park area. And so we still have some negative area that I want to keep protected um, as well as cultural use because the the primary uh, worry or uh, kind of motivating this project is that CWD stays viable in, in soil and water and is able to be taken up into plants, which has huge implications for cultural practitioners and subsistence hunters who do both of those practices. Now, how concerned are you going forward with this threat of, of CWD for the Blackfeet Nation? I mean, it sounds like it's, it's not too overblown yet, but uh, it could be perhaps. Well, considering that some countries like Norway are looking at extinction models, some of my tribal leaders have reflected on the spread and the impact, considering it's 100% fatal, um, that we could be on the verge of a cultural collapse. So essentially just wiping out the entire deer population, as well as some of these other related animals like moose and just all gone. Well, well... I don't know if they'll be all gone because we're still finding negative deer in heavily contaminated or CWD prevalent areas. And so there's something that those deer have access to that I believe are keeping them negative. So that could be in the climate-driven stressors or the contaminants impact um, that the biodiversity of plants that deer, elk, and moose have available to them to doctor themselves Um might not be available where it is available to the ones who are still negative in positive areas. I so get into long... a little bit of, of traditional ecological knowledge there. Uh, okay. And CWD, how long has it has it been around? What, what are the first documented cases? Um, 
I believe it's been prevalent in Saskatchewan, Colorado, and in the Great Lakes region since the 60s and 70s. And it, we, the Blackfeet Nation, just had our first positive in 2020. And any thoughts as to what's driving uh, the growth of the disease? I, as a hydrologist and a mining contamination cleanup professional, I really believe it has to be with a combination of chemicals and or um, bacteria, like we have cyanobacteria on the land now. And so as we experience drought, chemicals become concentrated. And if those animals are facing that in their environment, then they will um, probably have a less uh, of an immune system to fight any other disease they encounter. Mm. Well, tell us more about the mapping portion of the project. Uh, how will that go along with the, the, the training dogs? Right. So the, the dogs are finding the mink and otter scat right now, and our partners, Working Dogs for Conservation and Penn State Vets. Um, Penn State Vets are the ones who have proved finding CWD in the lab, and uh, now we're looking at like the micro, or we want to look at the microbiomes of the deer and see if the, the dogs can find it that way because we're, we're trying to think of how to transition that study out of the lab and into the field where places may be really heavily contaminated um, and it just CWD might inundate the environment so the dogs will kind of like alert to everything. Um, but for right now, as we <laughs> kind of contemplate that hurdle of the, the research, right now the dogs are just doing what they're, they're trying to find with mink and otter scat. And then we take that to the lab to analyze some things that have never been analyzed before. Um, right now, we're working with the EPA to develop a quality assessment project plan. And this is going to be the first time that traditional ecological knowledge and, and the dogs um, finding the otter scat will be used in one of those documents. Now, Sucha, what are you hearing from, from hunters and wildlife officials there in Montana? Are they heavily concerned right now? I think that this show helps. I think there needs to be more of a, a public campaign and community outreach because a lot of um, hunters that I speak to don't know how long its viability lasts in soil and water, and, and they're not aware that it even has viability in soil and water. They um, Most of the hunters I have spoke with have uh, an idea that there is an elk and deer, but not moose or reindeer. Uh, and beavers, and <laughs> what do we have? Wild boars in Alberta have just been confirmed as carriers. So there's and, a and lot for of, any... of, yeah, knowledge uh, that needs to be. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like. And for anybody who who's uh, planning to go hunting this fall, what do they need to understand? What types of precautions should they be taking? Um, I think it's really important to have your PPE, your personal protective gear on if you're going to be gutting your animals in the field. I think it's good to have um, gloves on as well as a mask and you don't want to get any fluids in your eyes or into your nose. Um, so just be careful taking precautions and then also it would be a major help because right now hunters are some of the, the only people in the country helping to track this disease. So it's really reliant on them submitting the, the heads and lymph nodes to mm -hmm. the, the Fish and Wildlife Agencies to help get a better handle on it. Because uh, with the new, new tests, we'll hear from Mark later, uh, it's making it a lot easier to test in the field. Um, 
but the, the cost of those tests and getting them out and, and getting it fast enough, especially in these areas where there may still be uh, areas to protect. <laughs> and Suta, what is the risk uh, to humans of CWD? Can it be transmitted? Is it transmissible right. from, from deer to people? Right now, it's only the two other species jumps have been to beavers and wild boars, and that's in Alberta. And so far, um, it has not jumped to humans yet. Uh, it's a prion disease, and so right, I think there's eight variations of the prion. And so um, those can transition and change, and, and humans can become susceptible, but it, it will take a few more species, I believe. I, I think we still have time to get a handle on it and slow down the spread before it jumps to humans. Okay, but certainly important to be mindful of that PPE uh, for anybody who's going to be handling uh, deer or any other type of wildlife, it sounds like. so. One of, uh, one of the researchers out of China I spoke to just said that it's not a good idea to do traditional practices like brain tanning anymore. And oh, really? uh, for any, yeah, for any cultural practitioners out there who do brain tanning, we just kind of reach our hand into the bucket and mush up the brains to paint the hide with to, to tan it. And um, that's not an advisable practice anymore. Uh, they should be wearing gloves and other protective equipment because unless they know that that animal they're working with is negative. All right. Thank you, Suta. We're going to take a short break and uh, we come back. We're going to learn more about CWD and uh, what's being done to combat it uh, in tribal communities. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. This year's list of films in the Native Cinema Showcase include a feature documentary about a Navajo activist, one man's personal and literary journey of romantic relationships, and a dramatic take on a chance encounter between a woman and a Maori drifter. We'll get a taste of the films on the next Native America Calling. Support by AARP. If someone asks you to buy gift cards to pay off debt, it's a scam. Imposters will claim your social security number's at risk, or your utility company will stop service due to late payments, or you won the lottery and only need to pay some upfront costs. They'll say the fastest way is to buy gift cards and share the numbers on the back. Anyone who tells you to pay a debt with a gift card is a scammer. More information on gift card scams at aarp.org slash gift cards. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. If you're a hunter, you've probably heard of chronic wasting disease. It's a growing problem for deer, elk, moose, and some other big game animals. And we're hearing about some initiatives to try and track and prevent the spread of CWD. Join the conversation today by calling 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest, Doug MacArthur is the White Earth Wildlife Manager on the White Earth Reservation in Minnesota. Doug, uh, tell us more about the plans uh, that involve White Earth and other tribes in Minnesota to help tackle this growing CWD problem. Yeah, we've uh, been working with uh, several other tribes in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan under an initiative from uh, a large grant from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service just to 
monitor TWD um, gearheads that uh, have been harvested by tribal members throughout that region. And um, it's just part of a, a natural um, area for all of us tribes to kind of work together to combat a, a problem together and to, you know, have surveillance for CWD within our reservations to try to, you know, protect deer populations and, and protect people from, you know, the potential for future impacts from, you know, having an, an infectious herd with CWD in it. Now, is there something unique about tribes and, and tribal land there in Minnesota that adds to the research into the disease? Well, so our, our tribal lands are, you know, held exclusively for our, our tribal membership um, throughout the region. Um, so, you know, typically those those deer that reside within tribal lands, unless, you know, a tribal hunter actually harvests that deer, we we would have no idea that, you know, we wouldn't have testing for it. The state, individual states don't have access to the tribal lands and tribal hunters to conduct that kind of surveillance. So it's, it's really up to us to make sure that, you know, we're getting the right amount of tests and we're getting, you know, our hunters to help us bring in those samples so that we can have it tested and ensure that our deer herd is still disease free. And Doug, what is the current threat in Minnesota about how many cases have been documented so far? Well, so southeastern Minnesota has a number of of cases. They've they've been infected down there for quite some time, and there's been a handful of new um, smaller outbreaks around the state. Some of them have been kind of ruled out the last few years through extensive testing, and there's some there's some newer ones which um, are kind of right around our reservation on, on both sides on the east and west, which are of great concern to us. Um, it's only been a couple of positives so far on each side, but of course the worry is every year that, you know, that has the potential to spread and end up, you know, creeping one way or the other and end up within our reservation borders. Doug Suta mentioned uh, the importance of uh, personal protective equipment as well as um, not performing some of the traditional uh, practices with regard to, to deer and other wildlife. Are you folks following similar precautions? Yeah, so we've been we've been trying as hard as we can to get the, as much information out to our, our tribal hunters as we can, you know, you know, protecting themselves while they are harvesting deer, trying to encourage them to get their deer tested. You know, there seems to be um, a fairly low prevalence of what our hunters know about CWD, which is is concerning, but I mean, I think understandable also. So we've been having to educate them on, you know, what CWD is, how it infects deer, how it could infect you and and the future of, of hunting, um, but also, you know, trying to let them know that they are part of the solution and, and part of the uh, part of the management tool that us as managers need to help not only surveil, but even to manage this disease if it were ever to be here in the future. And, and part of that is just submitting samples and uh, whether they think that, you know, CWD positives are still a long ways away. I mean, the only time that you're going to know that if you have CWD is if you're, if you're doing testing.
and mm-hmm. you know we're doing testing and you know we're trying to encourage as many people to bring in samples as much as we can because I mean at this point in time I don't I don't know if you can test enough but we're working towards you know trying to get the trying to get the word out and get people involved as much as possible. And Doug, are there any visible symptoms on deer? I mean, just spotting a deer out in the open, is there any way to tell by looking at it if it's got you CWD? Know, yeah, yeah, you know, most of the time there isn't um, until the disease actually is, you know, towards the end of the infection. There's re- usually not a whole ton of signs. Um, most deer that uh, do test positive, um, typically don't show many signs or any signs at all. They look like a normal, healthy deer and, you know, they go, oh, there seems to be nothing wrong with it. And then, you know, the tests come back positive. So it's not, you know, just an indication, you know, of a sickness. It's really obvious you should take that deer and get tested. It's, it's really about testing, you know, all deer, but you just never know. All right, let's take our first caller of the day, Susan up in Bethel, Alaska, who's listening to station KYUK. Good morning, Susan. You're on Native America Calling. Good morning. Um, This person I know, well, we have a lot of hunting out here, a lot of subsistence, but this person I know, he also hunts out in the States on lower 48, we call it. And I remember him mentioning that when a deer lays down and dies and just kind of dies from this disease, uh, other animals could get to it, and not only that, but I guess the grass that grows around can get contaminated. And I don't know how true that is, but if that's true, that probably needs to be some education out there and maybe some kind of powder or borax or something to throw out in that area or something to do to stop the spread from a deceased animal's um, decomposing in the grass around it. Okay, I'll, I'll hang up and listen for the answer. Thank you. That's a great question, Susan. Appreciate your call. Suta, I'm going to have you field this one. Uh, a deer with CWD lays down and dies. The the grasses and, and surrounding uh, plants and, and what, vegetation? That's what I call ground zero <laughs> uh, for us here in Blackfeet is, is the gut pile and the area where the deer uh, died and drug itself too. But if a deer lays down and dies and then decomposes into the soil there, the soil becomes uh, viably contaminated and the plants have the ability to uptake a uh, viable prion up into them. And so then a deer who comes across who may not be infected eats that grass of the contaminated area uh, has a possibility and a much higher risk of that's its contamination source. And so um, she's right on on the money. Uh, that deer who laid down and died um, became the source for other deer eating that grass, and then as well as uh, a raptor species and carnivores who come in and drag those. Uh, some of the carnivore species are um, that are eating the contaminated deer are not susceptible to the uh, disease, but they are. Uh, defecating viable scat themselves, and so then contaminating furthermore into the area. Suta, the caller also suggested using borax or like some type of, you know, heavy-grade industrial cleaner or disinfectant. Would that help at all? Is that... It will? Uh, I've been, I got desperate like that too. I, I, there's got to be something to clean this up, right? And so um, borax, 
bleach. Uh, bleach has been found to work in really high uh, concentrations on stainless steel materials, um, but there's been nothing to abate or kill the prion in the field on the ground. And I'm going to be doing some research in a food forest um, property that we have in southern New York on burn frequencies. So Blackfoot people are traditional prairie and mountain burners. And so I'm going to be experiencing, experimenting with different frequencies and temperatures of fires um, to see if those have an impact because Canadian researchers are starting to see that the frequency and the, the timing and the temperature of fire can have a weakening effect on the prion. Thanks, Suta. Mark Schwabenlander is also on the show. Mark Schwabenlander, yeah, he's the Associate Director for the Minnesota Center for Prion Research and Outreach. Mark, anything to add with regard to uh, decontaminating a- an area where uh, a deer or other type of uh, animal has died with CWD? Yeah, I don't have much to add. I mean, Suta pretty much uh, hit the nail on the head um, when it comes to environmental contamination. Um, some of our research is in that environment and understanding how to detect it in different matrices like soil and water and how it moves. And ultimately, as a research community, we haven't found a, you know, a good product or um, process to get rid of or destroy those prions in soils or other environmental matrices. It's a, it's, you know, you can imagine a soil, it's really complicated and the soil that's here in Minnesota is different than the one that's in Montana and the one that's in Arizona. So there's a, there's a lot of pieces to um, figuring out that equation. Mm-hmm. And Mark, where did the idea come uh, to start working more with tribes in Minnesota to address CWD? That's a good question. We, um, here at the University of Minnesota in the College of Veterinary Medicine. Um, I'm on this call, but I'm representing a team. And um, one of our main players in our team here is Dr. Tiffany Wolf, and she has a a pretty long history of working with tribes in Minnesota on on different aspects, Um, looking at moose, looking at uh, contaminants in in environment. Um, And so it's just a natural fit that as the tribes in Minnesota and neighboring states were interested in advancing CBD surveillance and understanding that we came along and partnered with them. And so we have we have um, a PhD student who mainly um, does a lot of this work. His name is Roger Faust, and he's a, a Winnebago of Nebraska tribe member, um, but is doing his PhD here at the university. Um, and so he's the interface to a lot of these tribes as we, as Doug explained, the surveillance network that has been built, um, we're coming alongside and helping, um, you know, just kind of help manage some of, of that, um, helping that along. But then also a lot of what Roger does is, you know, understanding um, what are concerns and issues of CWD and deer in these communities. So getting in the community uh, in these tribes and getting feedback uh, from the tribal members and understanding, you know, what, what does CWD mean to them? What do deer mean to them? And, and how does that play into CWD management? Mm-hmm. 
Mark, today we're focusing primarily on Minnesota and Montana, but what about uh, other areas of the country? Lots of deer. All I mean, we have a caller from Alaska. We've got a lot of deer in the Southwest, on, on the West Coast and Midwest. I mean, what about some of these other areas? What do you know about the threat of CWD and, and some other these tribal communities? Well, I mean, on a, on a grand scale across North America, that, that threat continues to spread. And, you know, said earlier in the show that it's been found in at least 30 states and four Canadian provinces. And so it, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it continues to be found and spread into different areas. And, um, and I know there's across multiple uh, regions of the country, there are tribal communities that are thinking along the same lines of what we're talking about today. Mark, what worries you most about the disease? Oh, that's a great question. If I had to pick the one thing that worries me the most is just its incredible ability to be indestructible. Um, A lot of talk about decontamination and whatnot, but just the fact that this this pathogen, uh, it's just a un- very unique pathogen, and it's that 3D structure that it holds. It's a protein, and it, it doesn't break down easily, which makes it incredibly hard to manage. We talked a lot about environmental contamination. You could, you know, at this point, you could, you could get rid of it in the deer population, but if it's still in the environment, we still have that source of contamination. That's the to me, that's the biggest concern with this disease is it's just hard to get rid of. And Suta mentioned, um, you know, it's more, more than 20 years since uh, this disease was first detected. And what do wildlife officials know? What have you folks learned uh, over the decades with regard to the risks of this disease and just, just resiliency like you described today? Yeah, it, it's uh, one of my colleagues, um, just was quoted saying, if you if you knew CWD five years ago, you, you don't know CWD today, just because we're learning more about it. And I w- it would, you know, Suta um, spoke to it a bit that there's there's different strains of CWD, so we're learning that these different strains have different properties, can infect animals differently, have the potential to cross into other species, including humans, at a different potential and rate. So there's there's a lot of pieces, you know, at a, at the very, you know, high level science but structural basis of this pathogen that we're learning that affects how it has the potential to move and infect animals. And is there any research at all that points to its ability to infect uh, cows and, and other type of livestock, perhaps not wild animals? Yeah, to some extent, um, in a natural setting, it has not been shown to cross over to other livestock. But uh, in in research, in controlled research settings, um, yeah, it has been shown to cross into livestock such as cattle or sheep. Um, so we know there's that potential. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, you mentioned earlier, even if if the disease were to be eradicated amongst the deer populations, it still could be in the grasses, it could be in the vegetation. But but even just that, it sounds like just getting to the point where deer populations could be free of the disease. That to me, from what I'm hearing today, Mark, that just sounds like a huge challenge in and of itself, is it? It is a challenge, um, you know, especially in some of the populations where it's been endemic for decades. Um, you know, there's places in Colorado, Wyoming, Saskatchewan, Wisconsin, where half the deer that are tested are positive. Um, and when, when it gets to that point, you know, even if, if science comes through, um, it's going to be hard to eliminate it in there. So a lot, you know, when it comes to wildlife managers, a lot of their work is prevention. So if we can stop it from getting to a place or stop it from going from 1% in the population to 50% in the population, there's the potential in that as science advances that we can get ahead of it, in, at least in those um, subpopulations. Right. You're listening to Native America Calling. Short break, and we'll be right back. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at SweetgrassTradingCo.com. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. Listeners, there's still time to join this conversation about chronic wasting disease. Call us with your questions and comments, 1-800-996-2848. We've got the phone lines open. I'm going to bring another guest into the conversation, Jesse DeRocher. He's up in Browning, Montana, and he's a hunter and a Blackfeet language teacher. Of course, he is Blackfeet as well. Hello, Jesse. Welcome to Native America Calling. Okay, hello. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to join you today. It's great to have you back on the show, Jesse. Well, tell us, uh, you know, you're a deer hunter. How has uh, CWD changed your perspective and your whole approach to going out and hunting? Well, it definitely made me a lot more cautious and fearful of what animals I, I take down um, because of you know, CWD having a 100% death rate and possibly affecting humans and how we eat, it's really made me sick and guess and think about how I hunt and what and where I hunt. What types of precautions do you take now, Jesse? Uh, well, I'm just really cautious on watching the animals that I take, um, you know, really making sure that they are showing healthy behavior habits. Um, and also the last year that I got a few weeks ago, I sent the head in for testing before I would eat any of the meat because I wanted to just make sure that my family and I were all safe, you know? Mm -hmm. And what was the result of that test? Uh, fortunately it was negative. So there was, it wasn't positive and we were able to utilize the meat. Um, you know, in my community, Dry meat is a traditional way of food, and a lot of the local hunters here 
uh, still cut their own dry meat. My my wife cuts my dry meat, so it's really a great resource to have, saving on some of the costs for meat and using our traditional food still to this day. So it's really important to us to keep that in our diet. Um, so it's important for us to keep hunting, but also be very cautious and careful for health reasons, obviously. And Jesse, that test that you had done, uh, was there a cost in that? And, and was that a hassle to, to get that taken care of? No. So what uh, I know with Suta, she's been really working on efforts to get our own testing on our reservation, but she really helped inform me on how to do it. I sent the head in um, to get tested and it didn't take terribly long. I had to wait uh, week or so for the results to come in, but it was free of cost. Um, so it didn't take too much. I actually just took it into the fish and game office here on my reservation and they were able to send it in for the testing. So it didn't cost me anything. It was just an extra precautionary step. Um, but I think when you weigh in the possibilities of potentially getting the disease, it's definitely well worth it. All right. Suta, can you uh, weigh in here? Um, what can you offer in addition to anybody who's a hunter and maybe has some game that they're interested in getting tested for chronic wasting disease? I would say contact Joe down at Blackfeet Fish and Wildlife or your, your local tribal fish and uh, wildlife and game offices. Um, they usually have a testing facility set up and all throughout state. Um, like Montana, there are a fair amount of testing facilities located near popular hunting areas. All right. Thank you, Suta. And Doug, how about folks in Minnesota that want to get testing done? What should they do? Yeah, so most of all the tribes in Minnesota offer some kind of free testing. Um, we do uh, head dropped off. Um, there are a couple of reservations that actually extract the samples um, from the deer themselves and, and mail them off. Um, but they're very accessible. I mean, every uh, natural resource agency has some type of method to drop deer off. It's uh, usually located in a number of communities. We have here on our reservation, we have two different drop-offs. And we even give out uh, incentives for hunters to bring their heads in. They get a $45 gift card. Um, mm. Even in other places, this you know, the state of Minnesota here has CWD drop-off boxes located in a number of locations that uh, are at least of concern about CWD that is free also. Just you need to fill out a card with some information on it. So it's quite accessible. Like you know, it, it does take a little bit. You got to travel. You got to drop your head off. And if you really want to be precautionary, you should wait before you're before you eat some of your meat but until your test results come back negative and whatever else. But it is uh, thinking about the consequences. It is a, a pretty small measure to take. I think for the for the threat that is potentially there. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, what should folks do with the carcass uh, while they're waiting for test results? Because like Jesse described, he waited a week. That's that's a little bit of time. It is. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it even takes a little bit longer. Um, what we tell some of our hunters is to, uh, you know, take the, take the meat off the bone, um, separate it into, uh, you know, a sealable bag, 
and even freeze it if you if you have to um, mark it on the you know clearly on the on the bag so you know what year that you harvested it so that was this year and make sure you keep um, your deer meat separate from each kill because maybe maybe hopefully not but maybe one of the deer tested positive and of course that meat you'd want to get rid of and then you might have another deer that you harvested that you know is negative but that would be plenty safe to eat so you know just try to keep it in separate packing um, that's marked so that you know if something does happen you know how to uh, separate your meat and be safe. Thanks Doug. Jesse when do you remember first hearing about chronic waste disease up there in Montana? Sure. Oh, let me add to that last one, too. So for our traditional dry meat methods, we don't usually consume the meat for at least two weeks because of the process of deboning and cutting the meat and then hang drying it naturally. We don't use dehydrators. So that gave me enough time. I haven't even consumed the deer that I cut yet. So it was fortunately it wasn't an extra hassle for me in that case um, but for a different game that we do process in different ways like hamburger and steaks and things like that sometimes it is a little bit more of a hassle but going back to your question when i first heard about chronic wasting disease it was relatively recent i would say last year or the year before maybe i heard it mentioned you know but i didn't realize really what it was about but it was around a year ago or so when I really started inquiring about it and I seen some of the work that Suta was doing and I reached out to her first and hearing about it was really scary you know uh, really an eye-opener on what's going on so I would say within the last year and a half I really became aware of it Um, so relatively recent when it comes to um lifelong of hunting you know uh, so i think it's important now to keep people informed um, not just hunters but local people a lot of the local residents of my reservation community consume dry meat um, buy it or just you know ha- get it from relatives or friends so uh, i think it's really important for us to remain um vocal about it and i really applaud the work that suta and other folks are doing at keeping people informed there's a big sign uh, just outside of our reservation community that uh, highlights chronic wasting disease. I know that's brought some attention to new folks, too. Suta, why do they also call chronic wasting disease zombie deer? Where did that term come from? <laughs> uh, we, As researchers, we get in trouble for calling it zombie, zombie deer virus, but um, it, it makes it act the deer act like a, a zombie, essentially, um, in the advanced stages of chronic wasting disease, it will start to droop its neck and head very low to the ground. It drools excessively, and fun fact, your drool about two gallons a day normally. And so this prion makes them extra thirsty. And so they're usually found down by the water, uh, drooling, head low, um, kind of buckling on their legs. Um, and so they, they lose balance. And essentially, that at that advanced stage, they have become um, the holes in their brain from the prion have effectively uh, uh, made their brain not work. And so uh, they have the inability to move, um, and, and they just appear to look like a zombie deer. 
All right, thanks, Suta. Mark, these these prions. What what exactly are prions, and, and how are they able to just uh, incapacitate these animals in, in the way that's being described today? Yeah. So this <clears throat> this prion is a it's a protein, and um, interestingly enough, all mammals, including deer and humans and any other mammal you can think of, has normal prion proteins in their body. So they have a normal cellular function, um, and like many components in our body, our body will break them down regularly and rebuild them and use them. The What makes it a diseased prion is when that shape of that protein has changed and then our body can't break it down and they build up, and as Suzu was describing, towards the end of the disease, they build up in the brain kill brain cells um, and ultimately cause death in the animal. So the, it's it's part of, you know, this protein is part of an animal and human's natural body, but when it changes shape, it makes it the disease form. And as as that disease form in its, in its different shape comes in contact with the normal prion proteins, it causes that one to change shape and a daisy chain effect that eventually builds up in the body. And it's not unique to deer. There's similar diseases in humans and, and other animals. Thanks, Mark. Jesse, this is really, really shocking. I mean, hearing this information and, and just uh, the spread of this disease, what are some solutions that sound promising to you to, to get around the corner and get a handle on chronic wasting disease? Geez, you know, unlike the other two presenters, I'm just a hunter and teacher, so I don't have the best solutions. I think for me, the best uh, thing we can do right now is just stay informed, you know, um, keep working at uh, potential cures and seeing natural remedies or seeing at ways we can, uh, you know, maybe limit the problem or decrease the population that are infected. But I really don't, I'm at a loss for answers, um, but just staying informed, I think is the main thing, keeping our communities aware of it, um, keeping the public knowledgeable on what to look for um, and keeping the cases reported. You know, I think it's really vital that all of our hunters get our game tested for it so that we can at least track and see how many um, positive cases we have within our communities to try to manage those areas, you know, as best we can. But as far as an overall cure, uh, I'm sure through nature, I truly believe there's cures for every illness and disease within our natural environment. Um, historically, our people would go back into the environment for these cures. And I think we've got to look deep into our environments and see what possible solutions we have within natural remedies. And Jesse, for those of us that follow traditional hunting practices, uh, any words of advice or, or wisdom to offer people this fall going out deer hunting? Well, as I mentioned, you know, just stay informed, be cautious, you know, watch the habitat of your game. Um, you know, for ethical, smart hunters, you should have a good knowledge base of your area and uh, habitat and uh, kind of the routes and characteristics of the animals that you're hunting, whether it's deer, elk, 
antelope, moose, um, just being mindful of if you're noticing anything out of the ordinary, any different um, animals acting, you know, not like they normally do, you know, being aware of all that, but uh, just staying informed and being vigilant and getting your animals tested um, before you consume them, I think is the most important thing. Also, you know, I don't like to be cliche, but prayer, you know, going back into our traditional mindset of being respectful and, and asking the creator for help and guidance and, and, and going through this, you know, our people have survived uh, several different catastrophes through our history, even prior to colonialism. So I think it's something that we can overcome as long as we are um, vigilant and, you know, remain strong and educated. Thanks, Jesse. Uh, Doug, I'm going to go back to you for the last word. What about um, folks that maybe uh, bow hunt as opposed to hunting with a rifle? Do they need to take any other different types of precautions or regardless of, of the type of weapon used hunting, is it the same procedure when trying to be cautious with chronic wasting disease? Yeah, the, the process would be the same no matter how you harvest your deer. Um, you know, even through our testing and our surveillance, we, uh, we even encourage people either to let us know or to even bring in roadkill deer that they see. Um, you know, just the, it's another animal that can be tested. Um, but I mean, the precautions are always the same, no matter how you harvest them, you know, try to wear your PPE gloves and, you know, try not to get any fluids and, you know, spray or whatever in, in your face, your eyes or open cuts or wounds or whatever. I mean, just be real, real cautious around them just to know that, you know, even if it's not CWD, there are all host of other diseases that are potentially dangerous and just be careful out there. I mean, we don't. We don't want to see somebody get hurt or sick. We're going to have to wrap up the show now, but uh, big thanks to all of our guests who joined us today. Suta Calling Last, Jesse DeRocher, Doug MacArthur, and Mark Schwabenlander for a really, really informative, enlightening conversation on chronic wasting disease. We are back here at Native America Calling again tomorrow. We're going to hear about some innovative films with Native talent. Until then... Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Spruce. The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at Indian-Affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Ah, Khespikani, Humi, Puti Yoyo, Shluasing Kwelu. Open enrollment for Medicare in the marketplace, Klee, Tristan Suuch, Shluasing Kwelu, Neh. Chquilquil Tausta Shluan in Kaluksuk Mariam, Fulnecht Smi, Quis Chwimit, Healthcare.gov, Huwa Chquilquil Tausta, 1 800 318 Meet in Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico 
by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.